Pace Line is produced by the Cycling Independent with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Emlin Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. You know, someday I'm actually going to settle on just calling you one thing instead of changing it up most weeks. Yeah, I feel terrible about it. It's too many names. It's too many ideas. It's too much. It's too much. Yeah, well, I'm, you and I both failed on the uh, the the nom de plume score. Uh, I failed when I came out from behind mine uh, when I launched Red Kite Prayer uh, after having been uh, essentially anonymous at Belgium Knee Warmers, and then you you were always out from behind Robot to some degree, but then you added Emlyn, and that really uh, threw a spanner in the works to use our English friends' term. Yeah. Yeah. I think I had a moment where I was like, oh, I should use a real name and not just robot. But whatever. I don't know. The problem <laughs> is that my name is John Lewis, which is the sample name on a credit card, like on a commercial. It's not. I cannot be identified. And I'm like the hundredth best to John Lewis historically. Right. There have been so there have been a way better John Lewis's already. Um. And as a writer, you can't have a name like John Lewis. You have to have a name that people can Google. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, for what it's worth, um, I am I am not the least interesting Patrick Brady, but I am only the third most interesting Patrick Brady because there is a, a, a well-decorated army general. I mean, Right down to Congressional Medal of Honor, Patrick Brady, Major General, yes, Congressional yeah. Medal of Honor winner, Patrick Brady. Yeah. I'm not that one. Um, <laughs> and uh, I am also not the one who in Australia fed a guy to a shark. I think I'm less interesting than that. Maybe I'm more interesting. <laughs> I, I'm at least uh, more presentable than the guy who fed someone to a shark. You're more likely to want me to have it, uh, have me at a dinner party, I think, maybe. Than that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least you yeah. want to go to SeaWorld with me and not him. Could be. Could be. <laughs> I, I, the problem I have also is that uh, in picking Robot, which didn't, I didn't, like it picked me, but... Uh, then I become robot at cyclingindependent.com, which most of the people I email have a spam filter that just <laughs> chucks me out anyway. So I'm no matter what I do, I seem to be a non a non-entity. Well, uh <clears throat> telling people you have a podcast uh should uh yeah. Uh, moving right along. Right, right. <laughs> uh 
My kids had a bike rodeo. Well, not my kids. One of my kids had a bike rodeo at his school this morning, and I went over and I helped fit helmets uh, to kids. It was you contributed to society, yeah. to bike society. Yeah, I you know, I figured it would be a good time. But, you know, these are uh, third, fourth, fifth graders. Uh, I don't think we got any of the sixth graders. These kids were sweeter than a Snickers bar. It was I I felt uh, I, I I felt some remorse at leaving or, or like I was missing out on something. But, you know, uh, duty calls. You said bike rodeo at your kid's school. And I just had this vision of eight year olds being trampled by cattle. <laughs> 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 which, which I feel sort of bad about, but not so bad that I didn't mention it. <laughs> well, at least you weren't thinking about roping kids. No, no, no. I was my, my vision was of kids on bikes trying to rope cattle, but getting trampled because they're too small for that. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Don't have a bike rodeo at the school. I have a friend who's an illustrator. I think I want to get him to draw that. Sure. Sure. Maybe we ought to do like the New Yorker and have uh, hi. Hi, folks. Uh, welcome to our editorial meeting. Uh, maybe we should have an illustrator do stuff like, you know, New Yorker cartoons. We should have an illustrator. OK, like I, a court, like a court. I want it. I want it to be like the old school court uh, illustrations um, from t TV where they would talk about someone's testimony and you'd get this like mm -hmm. sort of sepia tinted. Uh, yeah. Illustration. I, those people had retirement plans. I'm not sure we could afford them, but no, uh, I know somebody else who, who lives out of a motorhome. Oh, well, that should work. Yeah. Uh, all righty. Uh, take us Let's away. Let's get to it. Yes. All right. Uh, this week, uh, I'm uh, talking about commuting. Maybe the biggest change in my bike riding since the pan pandemic started is the elimination of a bike commute. <laughs> mm. Uh my which doesn't sound like a big deal, but as it turns out, it kind of is. Uh, my last office job was at Seven Cycles, uh, which is about four and a half miles from my house. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm thinking this this week because I went over there the other day to have lunch with uh, my friends there and to generally chit chat and disrupt their workday. Uh, and I rode my old commute route uh, and it brought up all these memories. It was it was a combination of complete familiarity, like with speed bumps and stop signs and potholes and a kind of dissonant feeling in these places where someone has actually changed the terrain. Like there's a double track through the woods that's part of it. And the town has come in and graded that and pushed it, put down fresh gravel, actual gravel, mind you. So you can rip that descent now rather than riding your brakes the whole way. Um, and that seemed really bizarre to me. Like I was rolling really fast and just feeling like I was about to get swallowed by a shark uh, <laughs> to borrow your previous reference. But but mostly it was just vividly remembering the traffic flow and all the little cut throughs and things I used to do every day. Mm -hmm. Of course, the, the other big piece here, the much bigger thing really is the loss of base mileage. Uh, it's a mm -hmm. short commute, but it's hilly. And so it was a major part of my fitness, a part that I haven't really replaced in any meaningful way. Mm -hmm. 
And I feel that now when I'm out on the trail or going someplace on the road. Um, I used to do this commute all the time, more or less unconsciously. Like I said, I knew that I knew the route, uh, even the variations on the route. Like I know the way to the uh, bathroom in the middle of the night, you know, like (laughs) I just know it so intimately. And then I, I do what I thought of as proper bike rides, like the Tuesday night battle path ride or a morning mountain bike session that was on my regular schedule. I do those longer weekend rides that a lot of us do. And those made up what I thought of as my bike life. Now those are all I do. Uh, And what I notice is that there's a base strength in my legs that just isn't there. Mm. Um, And I've thought about contriving some sort of commute. uh, But frankly, it's just not that nice to spin a rote series of roads. You know, like when you're doing it because you're a bike rider in your heart, you find ways to make it more fun or interesting. But without having to do it, I just don't see how that's possible Mm. to make myself commute to my own house. (laughs) yeah i mean uh that if we looked up contrived in wikipedia we might see a picture of the your proposed commute from home to home that's right yeah i mean i guess it's not different than just doing a ride every morning and i do ride a lot of mornings but it's it's different than doing this this sort of base thing sure sure but you've been working at home for much longer than i have True. How do you maintain that base fitness without becoming completely bored or uninspired? Yeah, about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, it says the guy. How, how have you done it in years past? <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, let's go for histori- historicity. Um, so previously, when I had either no kids or a kid, uh, I got up and I did my morning group rides as you do. Um, And, and to be clear, like the ride that I did on Tuesday and Thursday, uh, the peer ride, um, which has since changed into what is, what got me, got renamed. I think the new peer ride about 10 years ago and then NPR from there. Uh, The, the old peer ride uh, was not a dynamite loop, but it was an interesting enough loop. Uh, and in a group, it was ever changing and that was lively. And so every, every Tuesday and Thursday, I had one hour and 50 minutes, give or take, uh, of, you know, uh, tongue on stem. Um, and, that was really dynamite. And then Wednesday I had a great ride. And then there was the Friday coffee ride. I, I gotta admit, like as a, as a more traditional working Joe now, uh, with a, a a crushing (laughs) copy load and, uh, two kids, the thought of meeting people at eight o'clock in the morning, to roll to uh, a Starbucks in Palos Verdes and sit around for 90 minutes talking about how awesome we are um, (laughs) seems a luxury, the likes of which I just can't even fathom. Um, So yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. But you know, the, the point being, 
I had a ride Tuesday. I had a ride Thursday, the same ride. I had a ride Wednesday. I had a ride Friday. And then, of course, there were the group rides on Saturday and Sunday. I had the ability to group ride myself completely into overtraining. Uh, mm. uh, mileage volume was not an issue. And then I had another kid. And, you know, there's the great saying, the first child changes the mother's life. The second child changes the father's life. Mm. Ooh, that's quite the truth bomb. Um, and I wouldn't have understood the degree to which, except having now lived it. Oh, yeah. And now that uh, 50% of each month I am a single dad, um, you know, uh, riding in the morning is... Uh, fantasy it's not even fiction it's fantasy mm. um and so what happened um more recently after moving to santa rosa yeah group rides were not really a thing but very often mid-afternoon i would find a window to go out and do a, a ride with a friend we would go out and go mountain biking for 90 minutes or so uh, one of the local shops was at least a couple of years ago before my schedule no longer permitted it. Uh, the manager of one of the local shops was doing what he called the hour of power. Um, and they would go play in the hills of Fountain Grove and uh, storm up 18 percent grades. And uh, that's I'm, I am I am. Uh, I am not prepared to do that to myself right now. Uh, worse yet, there was a bad breakup last winter that saw me look at my bike with uh, a sense of, of futility and depression. And uh, I am now the heaviest I have been uh, as a person who works in the bike industry. <laughs> I have never before weighed this much. Um, there's never been this much Patrick while I've worked in the bike industry. Um, yes. And that, I'm also near maximum density. Yeah. Um, and so I've gradually been working to turn that around uh, with mm, intermittent in interruptions in my dedication. Uh, so, I mean, I am actively in that point of needing to figure out a routine much the way you do uh so far the best i've been able to come up with is uh striking out for a ride after i get the boys home from school now that they're old enough that i can uh trust them not to i don't know swallow their tongues or something um i can you know, I can finish my work day, I can get them home from school, and then I can go out for an hour. And that's becoming more and more routine. Um, and I'm I'm uh, thrashing myself uh, less over the fact that they don't really have any interest in joining me. Uh, they get home from school and all they want is their tablet. Um, so to your point of routine and whatnot. Uh, I may not be the, the voice of hope right now. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think, I think what, uh, 
what I missed when the pandemic struck uh, and I became, um, you know, entirely self-employed, I took great joy in my freedom. But there is uh, a lot to be said for being shackled to a productive routine. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You know, specifically uh, in terms of your fitness. Um, and and what I discovered is that, you know, without the, the desk to arrive at, I don't really have the discipline to just do 10 miles a day of, you know, medium hard riding. Yeah. Uh, you know, and there's also the challenge of so I mentioned the peer ride that I used to do. And I miss that ride in a whole host of ways. And there's no way to get back to that point. The loop that that ride used to do no longer happens. And the there was a certain social contract to that ride that also disappeared at a certain point. We would roll out on a bike path. And if you were two minutes late because everybody was going 16 miles per hour on a bike path, it was possible to catch up. Uh, it changed and it suddenly became full jets from the moment it rolled out. Uh, and then it became just laps of this one big boulevard, uh, rather than winding through Marina del Rey. And so I've got a, a bunch of different ways that I miss that. But the big thing is, you know, a, a, a group ride of that sort because you're always moving through the pack. You're always finding, Oh, I don't want to be out there in the wind here. Oh, I want to make sure I'm on this guy's wheel and not that guy's wheel. You can do the same exact loop day after day after day. And it's different every time. Cause you're busy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and I recognize it's funny. I recognize it even more readily in its absence than I did at the time, but as a vehicle for flow, um, that whole kind of going 80% and then you're never sure what's going to happen at, at, you know, in any one second, you know, that a right turn is coming up, but you don't know what the group's doing. And as a vehicle to enter, uh, even if it's just for seconds, enter flow for just a few seconds, um, a group ride like that is uh, quite a wonderful thing. And so, you know, I, I really miss it from that standpoint. If I'd been doing that loop on my own, I'd have tired of it in the first year. Yeah. I was watching a, uh, a video last night about crit racing. Uh, this is a video that we'll be sharing on the site in a week or two mm. or, or three. I forget. But, uh, I could see, like, I've never really thought I'm going to go do a crit race, but I can see the sort of um, dynamic of it and mm -hmm. how engaging that can be. Uh, wonderful. Terrific. I don't, yeah, I don't want to do laps around an office park, but I can understand why someone would enjoy the, the dynamic, the shifts and the, and the accelerations and all of that stuff. So when I was when I was amassing my final points to get out of the cat fours and into the threes, there was a window there of about six months, uh, maybe not even one summer <clears throat> where I really enjoyed crits. And part of that was because I was strong enough 
that I yeah. could stay in the first five people with a heart rate of 145. I that's fit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my heart rate didn't even bump up against my lactate threshold until the last five laps. Uh, mm. I don't want to say I owned anybody, but I was pretty well guaranteed not to be out of the top six once it came time for the line. I really enjoyed crit racing then. Mm. And then I made it into the threes and it stopped being any fun at all. <laughs> uh, if I was doing the threes, I was terrified of crashing. And if I was doing the masters one, two threes, the, the 35 plus one, two threes, we were going so uh, blankety blank fast that it was, it was next level suffering. It was a kind of suffering that I couldn't brag about afterwards. It was so insanely hard. And like, you know, I was getting uh, muscle spasms in my back and whatnot from the amount of tension that my body was under from going that hard. So I don't miss crits. My very last crit, the last turn, I thought I was going to die. Uh, I had a guy bump into me and I was pinballing back and forth between him and he had to be 190 pounds. And a buddy of mine next to me uh, who weighed no more than I did. And I had to put my hand on his back to steady myself. And just then we started breaking for the turn. And I had one hand off my bar as we were breaking. I thought I was going to die. I have not raced a crit since then. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know uh, how we got from commutes to crits, but I do think <laughs> that uh, what they both, uh, one provides fitness and the other one requires it. Um, oh, there's an insight. And, yeah. And I'm just, I, I was saying to a buddy of mine I was riding with the other day that uh, in, in 2022, all of my rides have been just for fun. There's been no, you know, there's been no suffering. Um, and it's part of that is I just don't have it in me. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't have the base miles in order to do the stuff. Uh, it's not a great tragedy, uh, but it was interesting to be on my commute route and feel the way my body feels now and ride it. Uh, and I do, I do miss those base, that base fitness. I just don't know how to get it back. Yeah. Uh, well, I do know how to get it back. I just don't know how to make myself do that. <laughs> well, it's, it is, uh, to return to that word from earlier, it is something that we have to contrive currently. You yes. and I, uh, lots of folks fortunately don't have to do that. Um, but yeah, I am, I am actively considering how I might contrive that. Um, I, I did a, a, a loop of Mercer Island uh, recently, and uh, um, I was there with Jennifer, my girlfriend, and a friend of hers. <clears throat> and uh, it was my first time ever on Mercer Island uh, in Lake Washington, the greater Seattle area. Holy cow, that place is pretty. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you ride through a place where people have lots of money, all the homes are custom. There was nothing tracked about that. Um, there was an awful lot of beautiful architecture in amongst, uh, this, you know, well wooded 
island. And, um, you know, there would be moments where we would hit a hill and I would know that things were going to get strung out a little bit. And I would actually stand up on my bike and, uh, you know, make a brief effort. And it felt so nice. Uh, and I, it occurred to me, yeah, you really haven't been doing a lot of that. You've just been riding lots, except for on the mountain bike where you definitely have been going harder. Uh, the mm. you being me. Yeah. Right. So, uh, maybe we should check back in with everyone once we've had some success. Okay. Sometime <laughs> next year. We'll get, get right on that. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. We're going to take a break and we will be right back. I was a know-it-all bike mechanic back in the 1990s when I learned that Shimano was introducing the first integrated brake and shift lever. <sighs> Laughably, I dismissed it. I can recall making comments about how easy it was to move my hand from my bar to my shift lever. Though young, I was already well-versed in snark. And then I rode a bike equipped with Shimano's Dura-Ace STI. Ladies and gentlemen, I ate the crow, feathers and all. Not only had I been wrong about how handy the invention was, even beyond the ease of operation, what I learned was that I could shift more often and in circumstances too dicey to be willing to take a hand off the bar. In time, I realized that they increased my efficiency, allowing me to downshift even as I was breaking through a turn. Shimano fundamentally changed how I ride road bikes. And they did so for the better. Okay, we're back with the baseline, the podcast on two wheels. What's your pull this week? I'm going to talk about our emotional attachment to bikes. So some week back, I wrote a piece about how having different bikes that allow us to do different sorts of riding is self-care. Um, N plus one is self-care. This isn't the other side of the coin. It's a bit more different than that. Uh, we develop an, an emotional attachment to our bikes. And by yes. we, I mean most of us. Uh, <laughs> certainly not everyone. So why would we become emotional about something that is inanimate except when ridden? Uh, I was giving this some thought this week because I was talking with my girlfriend, Jennifer, uh, about her touring bike. She owns a Voodoo Wazoo, which is in fact a cyclocross bike with extra brazons for racks and fenders, not an actual touring bike. Um, there's a difference in geometry and I'm going to save everyone that rabbit hole. It's just different. Um, the, the point to this little digression is that the seat post in her wazoo is frozen. I don't think you can say that about a person on, on air like that. The FCC is going to be in touch with us. So go on. <laughs> the seat post is frozen in her wazoo. Come on. You can't say that. Go on. It's a euphemism, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, worse, whoever did her fitting set her saddle height a solid, and I do mean solid, two centimeters too high. I can't ride behind her, uh, no matter how cute her butt is, uh, because my knees cry out in pain when I see how straight her leg is at the bottom of a pedal stroke. Um, 
or maybe I should use the pro both legs, either leg when it's at the bottom of the pedal stroke. I wince in pain. The solution to the frozen seat post is not easy. It's so frozen that it's going to have to be milled out, uh, putting putting all sorts of uh, slippery materials in there uh, and then turning it upside down hasn't worked. What I wanted to convey to her was that while this was seemingly a rather extreme solution, i.e. it will be expensive, I saw it as reasonable because I respected what the bike means to her. The Wazoo is the bike she rode on a number of long tours, including one down the PCH, (laughs) uh, down the Pacific Coast Highway from Canada to Mexico. Um, That was the tour where she and I first met. Uh, She was riding that bike in 2013 when uh, I was contacted by a PR agency and they said, I have somebody you ought to meet. Um, So even though I was recommending a rather expensive solution to her, I was trying to find a way to show her that I respected what that bike means to her. What I need is the cyclist's equivalent to namaste. Uh, one of the translations of that word is the light in me respects the light in you. It's a way to recognize the divinity, the beauty in all of us, that spark of the Godhead. Uh, so, What I need is a way to say there's a place in me that values a bike as a way to experience the beauty of the world that sees that place in you and values the beauty you have seen in the world thanks to that bike. Oh, yeah. That's not a complicated (sighs) thought, is it? No, there's a German word. It's nine syllables. Go on. Well, at least it's not 14, which was my fear. Um, So that brings me to my present point of meditation. I think of my bikes as mementos of experience, repositories of the physical world, keepsakes of a landscape, a relationship, and sometimes a place inside myself. Years ago, when I first started writing about cycling, I wrote to articulate my relationship to the bike, how this one thing could bring me fun, adventure, good health, Distant places and even peace, all in one 20 pound object. Okay, it's not 20 pounds anymore, but whatever. Today, what my overwhelming urge to do is to help give others the voice to be able to articulate why the bike is important to them. Uh, I want to help them uh, articulate the value. Of this experience. I've never done anything more valuable than to help others find the words to articulate something that they have been feeling. Uh, so for anyone who sees their bike as no more than a piece of gear, a way to get it fun, that's fine. Perfectly fine. But for those of us who value our bikes as more than just this thing that we pedal, uh, for anyone who looks at a bicycle and can see their own past, even as they imagine the future. My position is let's revel in that. This isn't nostalgia. It's another bite at the apple. What did I miss here? What, what haven't I accounted for, John? Uh, no, I think, I think you nailed it. I think, um, 
it's easy for us in the positions that we're in with TCI or the podcast or whatever to advocate certain bikes or products or other things to people and, and, and come off as consumerist Mm -hmm. like, Oh, get stuff because stuff is good. And I don't think that that's the case at all. A lot of the stuff that I recommend is stuff that I've had. Well, most of it is stuff that I've had for years and years. And it may be a base layer uh, that is, you know, threadbare at this point, but I have a relationship with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I really think, you know, if you don't have a bike with which you feel that love for whatever reason, maybe it doesn't fit you properly or it doesn't do the things you needed to do. You got to let that bike go. You got to let that bike go and find the one that is you are going to have a relationship with mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, because it changes mm-hmm. the quality of your cycling and it changes your cycling life. You know, I go down to my basement and I look at my bikes and I've had almost all of them for five years or more. Uh, some of them uh, quite a bit longer and yeah, they're, they are my bikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am their rider and it's a big part of it for me. It's a part of the richness of the experience. And I think it also takes time, right? Like you, you ride a bike and it like it fits you, but you have to learn the bike. Yeah. And learning the bike is like learning a person's, you know, ticks, learning their personality. I, I will, I will add one little wrinkle there. Uh, and that is that, you know, when you get the right custom bike, there's almost mm. no learning. Yes. It's yeah. like it molds itself to you in a certain sort of way. Uh, I will never forget the opening, I don't know, 200 meters of riding that I did on my Danucci. We were at the North American Handmade Bicycle Show <clears throat> in Sacramento, and it was the end of the first day, and I wasn't going to leave that bike there in the hall. I was going to take it back to my room. And so I hopped on it and I pedaled very gently as I was next to Mark Danucci, the builder. And we're rolling through the hall and there are people milling around and walking around and there's a, uh, a door to go through. And I reach out and I push the door open and I ride through and he gets one door for me and I ride through that and we uh, roll up to the stoplight and I press the button for the crosswalk. And that bike was only ever so slightly different from walking. I, I never in my life have I climbed on a bike and had it feel just so perfectly me. Um, it also occurs to me, I'm not somebody who, I don't name things. Okay. I haven't, I've never named a car. I referred to one of my cars as the pumpkin, but I've never named a car. I've also never named my bikes. Um, and yet I've got this intensely emotional connection with most of my bikes, but I still don't name them. Uh, am I missing out? No, I'm not a namer either. I don't think I need, I don't think they need names to have personalities. I mean, going back to the top of the show, my name's John Lewis. It's a non-name. Uh, <laughs> my nickname is Robot. It's a, you know, like, <laughs> I'm not imbued. 
with a personality by name. So, um, no, I don't think that's necessary at all. I think, I think bikes just speak to you in that way or they, you have a shared experience. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I, you know, the bike maybe doesn't have a consciousness, but it still shares an experience with you. Something does get stored in there in your relationship to the bike. Yeah. There's a chemistry, a frisson. Yes. Yes. Well said. Okay. We're going to stop there and move on to the Paceline picks. All right. Uh, This week I'm picking the Maxxis Minion Mountain Bike Tires. Uh The the DHF and the DHR2. Those are, by the way, terrible names. Uh, But the tires are magic. Uh, I should start by saying this is a lot of tire for me. I have (laughs) preferred narrower, faster rolling tires for trail riding mostly. Uh, But my buddy Andrew at Cascade Bicycle Studio, who built my Ibis Ripley for me, recommended these uh, Mm. because they're what he rides. I'm running 29 by two and a half front and 29 by 2.6 rear. Um, Why did you go with a wider tire in the rear? Most people go wider in the front. Because Andrew told me to. That's why I did it. All right. I will stop now. Yes. First and foremost, because these are tires and the number one job is traction, I'll say I've never had less rear tire slip or front tire skitch, you know, that sort of sideways slide, mm-hmm. uh, than with the Minions. Um, they grip wet rock and roots like no other tire I've ridden. Uh, it helps that I run pretty low pressure, but as I've embraced flat pedal riding, the predictability of traction I'm getting from these tires has really helped my confidence. <laughs> yeah, I bet. The other obvious criteria for any tire is how fast does it roll? Mm-hmm. I'm always curious about that balance between pressure, traction, and speed. And to be clear, I, and I'm, I'm also not like a, I don't have a spreadsheet of We've discussed this before of like tire pressures and whatever. I don't (laughs) I'm not really into the data, but I am interested in how things feel and why they work the way they do. But I'm not worried about how fast I am also. But when you're riding technical trails, uh, which is the thing that I like the most, momentum is everything, right? Yeah. You have to be able to carry speed in order to clear difficult obstacles And again, despite some aggressive knobs, uh, specifically the shoulder knobs, the minions have a high center line that lets me roll through a lot of nonsense. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's where the pick gets harder to define. Uh, The minions come in a lot of sizes and widths. Uh, 2.4, 2.0, I'm sorry, 24 inches. Really? uh, 26 inches. They have a 24-inch version, yes. 24, 26, 27, 5, 29 diameters. Huh. And then 2.3, 2.4, 2.5, 2.6 inch widths. Good grief. I had then no idea. Are, then there are case, different casing options. <laughs> it's really kind of a blank slate of attire defined, I think, by that tread pattern, which I think is brilliant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the price ranges from 33 bucks presumably for that 24-inch tire, uh, to 112 
<laughs> if you're riding a 29er, you can assume you'll be in that $100 plus range. Yeah. Um, but I think that's pretty in the pocket for today's uh, trail tires. Huh. I, uh, now that I know that they're available in a 24, I may go looking for a set for my youngest, Matthew, who's on a bike with 24 inch wheels. Uh, anything to give that kid better traction, uh, might, might, uh, cut down on the flow of tears before the end of a ride. Sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. I've been riding the minions on one of my bikes. Uh, it, it came with minions <laughs> and I gotta say, um, those things are part bear claw, not the pastry. Right. Yeah. Although if they were, I mean, what a pick. They would be tasty. So yes. there's that. Yes. <laughs> I would love to ride with the minions and a bear claw in my Jersey pocket. There we go. Um, before I go too far down that tangent, what's your pick this week? <laughs> uh, touching on a previous show, my pick week, my uh, pick week. That's a great lake in Tennessee. My pick this week is the Shimano XC7, uh, a sharp mountain and gravel shoe that got a redesign uh, last winter. Uh, I'm writing it because it is, you guessed it, available in a wide version. Uh, compared to Shimano's higher end shoes, uh, the XC9 and the S Fire, this has a more flexible sole, uh, which is most noticeable in how the toe flexes which is to say the toe actually flexes. Uh, the thing I've noticed over and over again with shoes, and this is a broader statement about shoes and less so about this particular one, is that a flexible toe won't cause me foot to foot fatigue, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, or soreness. But the flexibility in the midfoot, that is too much flexibility in the midfoot, will absolutely wear my feet out. A brief aside, years ago when I first started skate skiing, uh, the only boots that I could find that fit me were for classic skiing. Again, wide foot. Uh, and the midfoot on those skate ski, uh, on those classic ski boots flexed too much for good skating technique. After four hours of skating, my feet killed me. It hurt to walk once I took them off. The point being, flexing the toe won't wear your foot out uh, and will make the shoe much easier to walk in. The XCC, <laughs> I really can't speak today. The XC7s are double boa shoes and allow for very fine adjustment of the shoe's fit. However, because this is not a top of the line Shimano shoe, uh, and this is literally the only detail of this shoe that I will criticize negatively. These boas are a less expensive version that can't be micro adjusted looser. Uh, the dial has to be popped and then pressed down again and wound up again. So it's pretty critical to start with these a hair loose and only tighten them as much as seems absolutely necessary. Uh, also, and this is a personal thing, my wide foot seems particularly susceptible to a cessation of blood flow should I over-tighten my shoes. Uh, this is one of the reasons I continue to love shoes with laces, um, but they ended the lacing on the XC5, and I'll stop there. The lugs on the bottom of these shoes have proven to be more durable than those on the S-Fire shoe, which are made from Michelin rubber. 
Um, and yet they seem no less grippy on rock and dirt. So I'm very pleased by that. Uh, in Shimano's uh, stiffness scale, these have a stiffness of nine, which of course sounds very stiff until we remember that Shimano uses a 12 point scale. Uh <laughs> Here we quote Spinal Tap yet again. It goes to 12. Uh, it's two more. Uh, <laughs> two stiffer. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, and there's probably a whole riff on that that we could do. But uh, back to the shoe. For me, I think their nine is pretty Goldilocks. They come in three colors, red, black, and white versions. Um, and uh, as sizing goes, they come from 38 to 50 in whole sizes uh, plus half sizes from 39 to 47. And all of those sizes now are available in a wide last. I am wearing the 42 because their PR agency sent these to me before I learned about the half sizes in the wide last. Um, So that was a, that was a miss, but um, uh, the 42 still fits awfully well for me. Uh, it's a very, very comfortable shoe, and I love recommending these because it's not nearly as expensive as some of the Shimano shoes out there. I, I have two shoe-related uh, comments. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is that they just put out a new XC6 gravel shoe, mm-hmm. which comes in a beguiling green color, mm. and I'm and I'm really, really tempted to to get a pair, except that I. Did just get a pair of uh, Leet. Uh, I don't know how you say that. Oh, uh, uh-huh. Yeah. L-E-A-T-T. Yes. Yes. It may be Liat or it may be Leet. I haven't talked it to anybody be, about it. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a pair of their mountain bike shoes, mountain gravel shoes that I'm going to set up today, actually. And we'll probably be talking about on a future podcast once I know what I actually think of them. Cool. Uh, oh, I should mention, uh, I think the suggested retail on these is about $225, uh, online. Of course you can find them for less than that. I'm still not clear, uh, just how excited, uh, manufacturers are about us talking about the fact that you can usually find their products online for, uh, less than you can find them, uh, at the full retail, uh, that, the biggest problem there is that's usually not good for your local retailer. Yes, that's true. Yeah. What's good for your local retailer, though, is and for you is if you go in and put put them on your feet and discover what the actual fit is without having to ship pairs back and forth for three weeks. But and that's probably worth 30 bucks right there. It is for me, but not for everyone. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do what works for you. That seems fair. Alrighty. That's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Uh, you got anything fun happening this weekend? Um, I have a fortuitous uh, situation where my youngest son needs to be at a sporting event, uh, both Saturday and Sunday mm. to which I am not invited, uh, by the organizing types, uh, types uh but it is two and a half miles from my favorite new place to ride mountain bikes 
<laughs> so while he's doing his thing for two or two and a half hours, I'll be doing my thing for two and two and a half hours and hoping that I don't have too much blood on me by the time it's uh, he's ready to be picked up. <laughs> awesome. Well, it is early October here and um, Sonoma County gets no prettier than October. Uh, unfortunately, is also tends to be one of the driest times of year for Sonoma County. And uh, the ninth marks uh, the anniversary of the beginning of the Tubbs and Nuns fires five years ago. Uh, I will be getting together with uh, some folks I know uh, who uh, were in the story that I wrote uh, for Bicycling Magazine uh, with portraits shot by Roman Cho. Um, uh, These are folks who lost their homes in the fires. Um, And uh, I met many of them after the fact, uh, or got to know many of them after the fact when Red Kite Prayer readers uh sent us cycling clothing to help them get back out on their bikes um this is not going to be an easy weekend it's going to be as beautiful as this place ever gets but this is not going to be an easy weekend and i'll stop there maybe we'll hear some more about that later we'll see if i can handle that uh <laughs> Truly. Before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for TCI's other podcast, Revolting, which is it's a cycle. It's it is <laughs> it is awesome. I really love it and wish I had more time to listen to it in greater depth. Uh yeah. Uh it's yeah. It it deserves all of all of the time that I can give it and more. Uh it it continues to not be all that much about cycling. Um, but, uh, I love that you host it with Steve Knievel of all hail the black market. Um, and we hope that you folks will listen to it. It is a very different podcast and as real as real gets. If we, or it isn't listed, aren't listed in a place you like to get podcasts, let us know where you'd like us to appear. Uh, and we will try to get it listed there. Spotify continues to stymie us. Uh, send us some questions. If you've got an idea, please drop by the cycling independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find until next week. I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Paceline. Line.